being in that moment present and being fully invested in that moment with that item, I think makes us happier, more successful, perform better, and really get to a better place than if we try to do everything at once. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, everyone. This is David Wright, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. This afternoon, I am lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Malik Perohit. Malik, how are you? Good, and thanks for having me. It's always an honor and pleasure to be part of this, so thanks for having me. Yeah, I lucked out. We got to have you at our inaugural forum in December, and now we're having you back on the podcast. I mean, based on what you said there, moderating the panels, I just knew we had to dive a little deeper into your experience because the feedback we got was just tremendous. So, Well, it was a really nicely done conference. And I don't say this then, but I really loved the venue, the format, the way you did it. It added a whole new dimension to how to have this conversation, the innovation, the different industries you had represented. So really nice job at the conference. I learned a lot and I'm glad I was a part of it. I'm so grateful for that feedback. So, Malik, for those of listeners that don't know, tell everyone about your current role and where you are working right now. Yeah, thanks. So I am at an organization called Lehigh Valley Health Network. It is headquartered out of Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is nestled beautifully in the Appalachian between New York and Philadelphia, a wonderful place. I joined here about six months ago. And I serve as the Chief Health Information Officer for the network. And my role is to lead our healthcare IT initiatives, particularly with things on the clinical application side, EMR obviously being part of that, but also extending that to any clinical domain. In today's world of healthcare, that's pretty wide ranging. So I'm also involved in our virtual care, our analytics. A lot of my background is in formal analytics, and I've served on the Congressional Advisory Committee for AI policy recently, also extending to digital front door and consumer engagement, marketing, quality, and it's a pretty wide range of things involved. And now, you know, digital infrastructure touches pretty much anything we all do in any part of our life. So it's pretty wide ranging. 100%. It's funny because I classically used to strictly work with 
you know, CIOs, but more and more I found myself interacting with chief health information officers, chief medical information officers, even operational stakeholders, because like you're saying, the clinical and operational impact of technology, it's just tremendous. So we like to start the episode, Malik, with just one piece of actionable advice you might look to give our listeners today. You know, I'll tell you one thing I've learned over time and not something necessarily I understood the importance of when I was younger, but certainly something I've in the last few years been focused on a lot more is despite what we do, no matter where we do things, and a lot of times digital infrastructure is about reducing the human intervention things that we do. But at the end of the day, it's still about and relationships with colleagues in our sense, our patients, consumers, but really with anybody that we interact with. And as much as we, as MySpace involves the digital infrastructure, at the end of the day, it's about working with people and doing things together collaboratively, making sure that we all have input into the process, have our ideas heard, and that is collective product that we have because we're much better together than individually. No matter how smart or capable an individual is, you know, it's hard to overcome the talent and collective intelligence of the team. And so I really understood the role and value of relationships more and more over the course of life and certainly in the last few years and really emphasize on that. And as I've come in to LVHN, one of my first priorities was to build as many good relationships across the system as possible, not for the purpose of doing work, but really just to build a relationship. And then work will always evolve, right? We're all working together and there's always things to do in healthcare these days, but for the purpose of getting to know people as people and then letting things happen from there. Love that. Great piece of advice. So Malik, I'm going to want to dive a little deeper into what you guys are up to at LVHN. But before that, I want to learn and have our listeners learn a little bit about where you started out and how you got to be the chief health information officer of a large health system. Yeah, happy to share that. I'll tell you, it may surprise most people, but it was never a planned role that I envisioned for myself. In fact, not that I'm that old, I'm still relatively on the younger side of things, but the role didn't really exist when I went to medical school. And so I got here through a little of a wandering path, but I'm glad I'm here now. And so I started out as a residency in physical medicine rehab, the specialty that focuses on function of patients, meaning how do we help people function better in their respective quality of life roles, whatever things that they want to accomplish. And so a lot of our diagnoses in the patient's population for us is brain injury, spinal cord injury, pain, sports injuries, musculoskeletal, a wide range of things. And so it's a really cool specialty because you get to really help people with quality of life in addition to standard medical stuff that we all do. And the other part of it, I didn't realize getting into it. I got it for the clinical aspects of it. But the other part I realized in residency is that PM&R is involved in all aspects of healthcare from the ED to post-acute, the wide range of things. And a lot of the initial stuff like patient care home and medical homes, PM&R, a lot of the team-based initiatives for care came out of that. And I learned a lot about the business of medicine in terms of why length of stay and those things matter in documentation. And it was a lot of good learning and residency for that. I didn't realize the value of it at the time. So like most of us, when we learn something, we don't necessarily know the value or impact of something when we learn it. And then I went and did fellowship in brain engineer trauma at Harvard Medical School and Mass General in Spalding Rehab Hospital. And so there I specialized in brain injury. I was a research fellow, so I was interested in developing new to treat brain injury. It was a combination of fellowships. It was integrated medicine and brain injury and research altogether. And the idea was to 
and developed non-pharmacological methods to improve patients' brain injury. But along the way, one of the things I was asked to do, and I'm grateful that I was asked, my chair of the department asked if I can help the concussion program there. And it was awesome. I thought I'd be helping with just the medical side of it. But when we got in the room and there's a lot of work to be done, it was creating a brand new program and clinic from ground up. And so that involved marketing and operations and finance and business planning and finding floor space, all that kind of stuff. And so I was able to work in all those spaces and amazing gift to be a part of that because it allowed me to learn so much more beyond the clinical side of it. Those things have served me well. It felt like I was getting in that mini MBA in addition to everything else. A lot of fun. We did that. I became faculty there and stayed on for a little bit. But then I was recruited to the Department of Defense to do an even more expanded version of that in the DC area, part of the Walter Reed System, Fort Belvoir Hospital, so created the National Trepid Center of Excellence there with brain injury and PTSD. And again, it was a full team and we had a wonderful team and I learned a lot from them, but creating it full out things. So when I got there, we're still involved in building up. I put the Wi-Fi network up. It was a lot of fun to do. And then the other part of it is as a researcher in me, you know, as that program grew from several thousand patients to 22,000 patients visits a year, I wanted to capture the data on our patients. And from there, went down the path of creating sort of a data analytics platform, capture data on patients and do things like predictive analytics and that kind of stuff. We did all that. And then I stayed on there for several years. And But then the environment changed for various reasons. In 2017, I left and went, just became CMIO in San Antonio at the hospital level. And there had a chance to work on several projects. One was installing Premier, which is a quality a gatherer and putting all their data into one place. It's a competitor to Vizian, so a lot of quality metrics there. Initially, it was the project of just sending data files to them and that, but as we realized our data was not consistent, we worked on figuring out how and why those things were. So I got into a lot of operations, helping with our quality metrics, helping with HIM coding, helping with our charge master and cost data and that kind of stuff. So I learned a lot of operations through that process as well. And then from there, I went to the industry side, did outpatient monitoring. And how do we help patients at home through better monitoring, better digital infrastructure? And I did that. And then it came back to the healthcare side at UH. And a lot of our, my time at UH in Cleveland was during COVID. And one of the things that when COVID first started, our CEO at the time came to me and said, hey, can you help with some of the data analytics, given my background? And so with the team, it was led by several of us. And with that team, we put together a method of geospatial analytics to try to predict some COVID hotspots so that we can then send the SWAT team to mitigate some of those risks. Again, very gratifying to be able to be part of the process of solutioning for a pretty disastrous situation for the world, in the world that I live in, where I could impact, be able to help and support some of that. So Ohio had some of the better numbers in terms of COVID and also public health policy and that kind of stuff. And so I felt good as being part of that process. And we were going along, we did a few other things, but then this opportunity came up. And when I spoke with the team here, very obvious the culture of progression and innovation and wanting to move forward and not that it's but really wanting to push the envelope and how can we better not only as an organization at LVHN but how can we better as a leader in healthcare and really redefine the way we do things and so there's many initiatives that we're leading in that aspect at Lehigh Valley Health to really improve healthcare for everyone out there not just us and us involved in it on a local basis. Love that. And thank you for sharing, Malik. I mean, I got a couple great nuggets out of the, just what you said just now. Let me ask, though, what's along your journey personally and professionally? What's one of the most important things that you learn and what was life like before learning it and after learning it? Oh, man, there's many things I needed to learn. And I think that's my wife. She said, I still have many million things to learn still. 
but I think it's good. You know, I think it's also really good to keep us humble and on track. Mm-hmm. And I guess something I've understood more as I talk about the relationships, right? That we talked about a little bit a few minutes ago, but just understanding how much of a role they play in what we do and how we do it. And, you know, the other part of that is our work can become mundane very quickly, trying to set things up and meetings and Zoom and the world we for a couple of years. But when we keep that relationship and the person in front of us and the humanize what we're doing, and I think that's one of the issues in healthcare today is that despite an industry that should be very much about human care, I think we've become very inhumane within the humanity of healthcare because people are a Zoom meeting, because I think COVID and just the volume of and sheer nature of that, I think has dehumanized all of us in many ways. Certainly we see that in the world today where things are more transactional and the relationships have less meaning in many ways. And so I think keeping that at the forefront and understanding the role of that in humanizing what we do so that we know why we do them and don't forget that. And it's easy to forget in all of us in, in all walks of life, connecting that part of it. And you know, for those that are clinicians and seeing patients daily, it's a little bit easier sometimes. But in the healthcare system, you have marketing, you have finance, you have a quality metric, you have all that kind of stuff. And all of that contributes to better patient care. But if you don't see the patient in front of you or the relationship in front of you, it's easy to become dehumanized ourselves. So that's important. I think the second is this concept of mindfulness and being present. We've all gotten into this iPhone mode or smartphone mode of like checking the phone, checking this, checking. You know, it's hard for me to go even 10 minutes without looking at my phone. And as a result of that, and my kids and my wife called me out on this, you know, when I'm on the weekends and I shouldn't be on the phone as much, but and said, you know, let's, let's just be present in what we're doing. Because I think when we're not present and we are interacting with the world through digital infrastructure, it's easy to become distracted. And as much as we all think we can multitask, the reality is our brains are not multitasking. They may be doing one, two, three, four, five tasks in a row very quickly, but we can really only focus on one. And when we are mindful and being present in the moment that we're in and focusing on what we need to focus on, I think we all do a much better job. We all have a better time understanding the person in front of us, humanizing it, and then also just performing better because we understand what we're doing, the criteria, the details, that kind of stuff. And it's easy to get lost and push things on or get upset, pay attention and are mindful of the environment. It allows us to understand what's going on in a much better holistic way that helps us get to a better place. I think a couple of those lessons. And again, I've learned a lot because I've had to learn a lot (laughs) as I've grown, but many more lessons that I think all of us have gained through life. And I think those are two that are important. Yeah. Huge. I mean, I got so much out of what you just said. I mean, it got me thinking too about when you talk about relationships first, the value of human connection. I think COVID really polarized that, right? The impact that the lack of human connection had on everyone's mental and emotional health was just so great that it just, to me, really just emphasizes what you said that much more. And it's not just personal relationships, it's with colleagues, it's with our communities, the kind of the world around us, like how do we promote better relationships? And so, yeah, I really appreciate that. I also really appreciated what you had to say about mindfulness. Mindfulness, a huge part of my life, and it's a practice, right? It's not something that I'm just mindful now and I've arrived, right? I have to wake up every morning And, you know, one of the things that I try to do is daily gratitude list, just five things that I'm grateful for. And 
because for me, gratitude is a practice in and of itself. It's something that I have to work at and continue to build off of. Also meditation, right? I try not to leave the house if I haven't meditated at least for 30 seconds to a minute even. I mean, I try to do more than that, but just the simple fact of, like you said, kind of turning off the phone, just breathing for a second and trying to be in that moment. It's a gift, right? It's a gift that I'm sitting here right now and to remove myself from the hustle and bustle and recognize that. I mean, it's just great advice. So I really appreciate that, Malik. Yeah, and it's funny. It's so I'll say, you know, whatever I'm saying, I would say is there's a podcast on the NPR, a Freakonomics podcast recently, and they had somebody on and he said, and they said, hey, we'd love to have your advice from all the years of experience. And he said, well, it's not advice. It's things that I've done that have worked for me that may work for you. And that's sort of the intent behind this is advice is sort of a powerful thing. But I would simply say that what we're discussing are things that I've learned and I've discovered for myself, and they may be helpful to you and may not be helpful to you, to others, but this really made helpful to me. And hopefully it is helpful to somebody, but I don't know if I'd categorize it advice. But the mindfulness part, I would say, is, is interesting because one of my fellowships in subspecialty training was in integrated medicine, which is about meditation, yoga, and really understanding the science behind it. And I practiced that on a daily basis, but I didn't practice it on a moment basis. Activity I did at the end of the day or beginning of the day or something I did just like running, but it wasn't something I incorporated into sort of the daily gist of everything I did. And trying to do that more of, just being present when I'm meeting with somebody for a meeting or when I'm on this podcast, you know, just really focusing on what I'm doing now rather than focusing on all the pop-ups, right? Like the email pop-ups, the text messaging, that kind of stuff, right? We get all that as we go and it's easy to get distracted, but how do I focus on what I'm doing now? Do that as well as I can be the best at it. And then when the time is up, I'll move on to the next thing, but let's not try to do all 15 things together and then not do any of them well. And then the other part, there's a study in Nature. Nature is a very preeminent journal in medicine, and it's some of the top, top, top studies. And the other part of it was not just the work and performance part of it, but just general happiness. It said that we are all much happier when we're just present in the moment and focused on what we're doing at the moment, and then moving on to the next thing instead of trying to do all sorts of things at once. And I didn't really realize the impact of it when I first read it. I was like, oh, whatever, that, that makes sense. But I kind of blew past it. But now that I've practiced it, and when I try to be in the moment, right, with, with my kids, I'm focused on the kids rather than the emails that are packing up or the text messages I'm getting and that kind of stuff. And again, you take care of things that are urgent, but, you know, most things are not that urgent, thankfully. And being, you know, with the wife or the kids or the family or the work or the team or the task at hand or the presentation I'm preparing but being in that moment present and being fully invested in that moment with that item, I think makes us happier, more successful, perform better, and really get to a better place than if we try to do everything at once. At least for me. That's, I would say for me. I don't know about others. <laughs> Love it. So, Malik, I want to move on to the work you're doing today. Before we jump into kind of your vision for LVHN, favorite book or literary piece that either that you're reading now or all time? You know, I'll tell you, I can't name one, just one book, but I'll I'll say it's sort of a theme that I read a lot about right now, which is culture and leadership. And what does that mean? To me, you know, we often confuse difference between being in a leadership position versus being a leader. And they're two different things. Now there's certain percent of the population that are in leadership positions, 
but all of us can be leaders in where we are. What does that mean? And part of being a leader is understanding yourself and understanding how you interact with everybody around you. Second is developing the right culture for the team, creating a nice environment, safe environment, where people are not afraid to fall and still make mistakes, but innovate and create and disrupt the world. So you have to have the right safe environment for that. To have a place where people have good relationships with each other, enjoy being there, are happy to be part of that. Creating the right vision, the right strategy. How do we get there? Building bridges collaboratively. And so there's a lot of those things that I think are part of leadership. And to me, being a good leader means that you've made the other people around you more successful. And if they're more successful, happier, doing better work, then you've been a better leader. When I was younger, I had a very different thought process on what leadership meant, which was you're the person that's in charge that gets to tell people what to do. You know, that part of what is being in a leadership position, but that's not really being a leader. Tell people what to do to get them to do as a leader. If you're allowing people to be motivated on their own, be happy, create, innovate, feel safe, secure, and allow them to be more successful, then that's the right environment. And then you don't have to tell people what to do because they come up with the ideas on their own. And then that's really much better leadership than being the person that tells people what to do. That's not leadership. <laughs> that's a task manager or manager or whatever it may be. Right. hundred percent. How do I touch, move and inspire people to, like you said, kind of want to follow that unified mission and vision. And I think that's a great segue into learning a little bit more about what you guys are up to at Lehigh Valley Health Network. And we kind of touched on it before, what you guys are doing, not only to impact your patients, but the community around you and kind of the healthcare industry as a whole. But what is your vision in your role as it's derived kind of from the mission of the overall organization? And then we could maybe get into some of the key initiatives you guys are focused on right now. Yeah, I think, you know, for us, we're no different than most other healthcare organizations in many ways in the sense of the things we're focusing on or the challenges that we're focusing on. You know, the uniqueness about us in, in that sense is that we're in a valley amongst populations, a beautiful area, but also the growing population. But again, only two main health systems that are relatively close by. And so our success really is the ability to serve the community and have them get better to where they need to be. Our success really means that The community is healthier. The people are better. They're having better access, that kind of stuff. And even to our CEO, which I love this comment from him, and he said it publicly, is we're only as successful as the least healthiest person in our community. I think that's the goal, that the least healthiest person is still in a good state of health. And so we have challenges like everybody else, right? Staffing, costs, supply chain, all those things, right? We're not (laughs) immune to that. But how do we approach them? How do we take them on? How do we come up with creative solutions? So one aspect is opening up access. Uh, you know, how do we do that? So creative solutions around that. How do we make that digital consumer journey much easier and better? Now, in today's world, you can book a flight to any part of the world, book a hotel there, and book a rental car and excursion in minutes from your computer or your mobile phone. But I can't book a primary care appointment down the street with any sort of digital infrastructure in most places of the world. And that's disconcerting. I mean, it should be a lot easier to do, but those are things that will help access. You know, how do I get all my data on my phone? You know, for those that are in the stock market, they can get up to the date, up to minute data on their stocks in the past history in the past five years in seconds on their phone. Can I get my labs? Can I get my records? Can I get my notes? Can I get all that in the palm of my hand instantaneously? 
that should be the standard. Can I have a seamless experience? I often talk about the Google experience, the quote unquote Google experience, meaning if you have a Google logon, whether it be email, whatever it may be, with that, you get email, search, maps, drive, YouTube TV, all of it, right? All the Google work experience, everything with one logon, entire suite of applications, seamless to the user. And if you switch devices, you log on once and bam, you get it right there where you left off. That's the standard of digital experience right now that's out there in other industries. We should have that same standard in healthcare. And so all of those are some of the initiatives that we're working on is how do we get to that level and how do we get to that platform of experience that's much better? Because if we don't, we're going to make a lot of patients ill. 100%. You touched on a couple of the challenge, but what would you say is, are some of the biggest challenges you guys are facing in accomplishing that mission? Yeah, I think so one is nursing care and staffing. And then not only nursing, but physicians and providers also. So last year alone, we had 110,000 physicians retire from healthcare. And that's a lot. That's 10% of the physician workforce in one year that stepped away. And that's not counting the physicians that are active, but not in clinical roles, right? That are administrative or industry or whatever it may be. This is of even including all that in the denominator, 10% stepped away from clinical care. Last year, 500,000 nurses stepped away from clinical care. Those are huge numbers, and we're anticipated to be 1.1 million nurses short this year in terms of what we need. And so improving the clinician well-being in life is really vitally important because if we don't, we're not going to have those people to take care of the ones we need. And there's an article, I think, just came out today from New England Journal that we're having adverse events in one-fourth of our population in the hospitals today. And a large part of that is because of staffing and undue pressure. And it's true, right? Like as a human, we can take care of only so many things in a given amount of time. And if we're losing physicians and nurses, that means whoever's there, the patients still have to come in, right? It's not like other industries where you can just shut the door, right? Like the airlines can cancel flights and say, all right, we'll wash our hands of this and too bad you missed the flight, we don't have that option in healthcare. Our doors are always open, no matter day, night, Christmas, holidays, whatever it may be, we're open and we have to be. But when you have ever-growing needs for health and a diminishing population of people to take care of them, you're gonna put undue pressure on the system. And that's the biggest challenge right now for everybody. Yeah, agreed, that's what we're seeing. That's why, you know, when we talk and, and about, I'll, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. And I'll put a little bit of advocacy in here too, is that in this environment, cost cutting from payers, Medicare cut a reimbursement 3%. They're not keeping with the inflation. And you see this in the stock prices, that revenue gaining profit while patients are suffering. And I think that's really sort of an untold or un, uncovered story. That's a pretty major, I would say, epidemic that's coming out of this is if we don't fix the problem, none of us are going to have the care we need. Yeah. I mean, oof, just makes me sick thinking about it. I appreciate uh, you bringing it right, up. We'll get to happier topics. But having said all that, at the same time, we have a lot of great people in healthcare that are really trying to make a difference and trying to do the right thing and make it better for pe- people and create better infrastructure. And so I have hope. I, despite negativity and the challenges, I have a lot of hope that we have a lot of good people. In our organization, I can name... 50 people that are really trying and really care. I mean, 50 just in seconds, right? I think everybody is trying and trying to do great work. 
but it's nice that we have good people. And then LVHN, I really feel like we have a great culture, a lot of good people that are trying to make the right thing and improve. And that's important. And I think we have a lot of those people in healthcare. We just got to make sure we don't burn them out and give them support so that they can fix the problem. Right. Agreed. So we're coming up on time here, Malik, but any other really innovative projects that you have on the horizon or innovative technologies that you're excited to roll out or are in the midst of rolling out that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, we're in the midst of a major project that's co-leading with our chief quality officer under the direction of my boss, Dr. Mike Rossi, which is what we call the future of medicine today. And it is a total revamp of our inpatient care design to have work on these issues that we just talked about. How do we offload the burnout factors from a nurse? How do we inventory what a nurse does and then either automate and eliminate some of those tasks, change our policies to make it easier and better, reduce documentation, reduce the burden? Same thing for our providers and physicians as well. How do we have better processes? How do we have better digital infrastructure for patients to access their lab work? How do we, when you come into a hospital as a patient, you don't know what's going to happen today. You don't know if you're getting an MRI, you don't know if you're getting a CT scan, you don't know if you're getting blood drawn, all those things. How do we put that in a digital infrastructure that patients know, hey, today I'm getting an MRI scan, today I'm doing this, this, and this. So you can have some semblance of the schedule or some sort of thing that's going on. Patients leave with medications in hand so that they're aware of this as they leave. And then how do we get them appointments or follow-up quickly so that they don't get lost in the system? So a really overhaul and redesign of how we think of medicine today, comprehensive way. And we've got a great team working on this. And I'm grateful for all of them because they've got fantastic ideas. And I really just have to facilitate us getting together and getting out of the way <laughs> to make these things happen. So, Love it. All right. So final couple questions here. Malik, where do you see the healthcare industry going in the future? And what do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes? I think healthcare has one of the biggest needs for innovation. And I think things like the conference you're putting together and the dialogue across industries is very important because it creates ideas, not just for people in one industry and swirling around the same problem in the same way, but across different industries come together, think differently about the same problem and come up with better solutions and really disrupt the status quo of healthcare, which we've needed for a long time. I think COVID, one of the silver linings of COVID is that it spotlighted this and given it more attention. And so we can focus on it and try to get better in the pressures that we face. And so I think to me, and innovation doesn't mean just products and digital, but innovation, everything we think about processes, workflow, everything needs a revamp. And that's happening now. And I think we need to continue that process probably for a good five to 10 years and get us to where we need to be. I'm excited about that vision for the future for healthcare. So. Malik, as we wrap up, we like to ask if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> Man, I think probably too many things I could I would I give myself. <laughs> but I think to boil it down, a couple of things. One is focus on the moment. Don't focus on the next steps. Don't focus on next career move. Focus on what you're doing today how to make it the best and brightest it can possibly be. Focus on your family. And, you know, you've got young kids and became a parent and second parent recently. And the one thing I would change definitely about that is enjoy that 
those early days more and focus on those early days more and really focus on moments because they get one childhood. Yeah, that's probably what I would say is stay present in the moment and that'll allow you to be much better in what you're doing in the moment. Well, Malik, I just want to thank you again so much for spending time with us this afternoon. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks. Always a great pleasure talking to you guys. Do a great job. And let's disrupt and innovate together, make life better for everybody. So thanks for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We will catch you all next week. Be well, take care of one another. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.